Hello and welcome to our fifth podcast on the end times. My name is Keith Sieber and I'm pastor of New Beginning Baptist Church in Palm Coast, Florida. And the topic of this podcast, uh, we're going to be getting into an overview of the judgments. Uh, We're going to touch on just kind of defining what the tribulation is uh, briefly, then we're going to get into an overview of the judgments during the end times. It'll be part of our plot line of prophecy. But before we start uh, looking at those judgments and looking at defining the tribulation, a brief definition of the tribulation, I just want to mention our church. Uh, we had an incredible weekend at our church. This past Sunday morning was one of the best church services I think we ever had. The singing was powerful. It was loud. It, people were singing with all their hearts. The, the music, the song selection, everything about the music Sunday was just incredible. We had such a wonderful worship service uh, with the music, and then uh, I believe the message was well-received as well, which is a great Sunday morning. We had visitors this past Wednesday. We had visitors Sunday. We had visitors Sunday night. And so the Lord is really working in our church. Uh, he providing for our church. The, the spirit in our church is fantastic. And so I'm excited about what the Lord is doing for our church and in our church and through our church and our community here in Palm Coast. But before we get started in our study, I want to review that golden rule of Bible prophecy. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, but take every word at its primary literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context clearly indicate otherwise. By the time we're done with this series, I believe you're going to have that memorized. Now I'm going to review our plan and how we ought to proceed through our study of the end times. We have that introductory material, that was the first section. And then a second section was the plot line of Bible prophecy. That will be an overview and map of the big picture of our study. And I believe we may be completing that in this podcast, if, if we can get it all in. Then the next section will be the setting, and that will be the general mood of the end times, the places of the end times, signs of the end times. We'll be looking at the book of Zephaniah and Matthew 24 and 25 as we go through that. Also Ezekiel. Then the next section will be the cast of characters. I'll be getting to know the main individual actors of the end times. Then we'll be moving on to the scaffolding and structure. That's mainly the timeline, the nation actors of the end times. That's basically a study of the book of Daniel. And then we're moving on to the main narrative. That's the final section. And that'll be mainly a study in the book of Revelation. Now, our church, we've been studying this for about six months, and we just now got into that main narrative section, the study of the book of Revelation. We had our first message on that this past Sunday evening. Uh, So now let's look at the term tribulation. We need to have a clear biblical understanding of the term tribulation before we get much further along in our study. It is very evident from the scriptures that the church in our present time will have trials and tribulations. Jesus said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. The Apostle Paul warned, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, 12. But according to the Bible, the great tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble, not the time of the church's trouble. From the beginning to the end of the church age, God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 We are all one in Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Ephesians 2, 14-15 Jesus has broken down that middle wall of partition, and now we who are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2, 12, we are invited into the family of God. So therefore, it will be when the church is removed from the earth that God will again recognize the nation of Israel in a special covenant relationship with himself. God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, and this covenant has not been annulled. Therefore, after the church is taken out of the world, God will again turn his attention to his chosen people, Israel. And it is then that the time of the final trial will begin. It is then that the time of Jacob's trouble will begin, which will be a period of tribulation such as the world has never known. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verses 26 to 27, we find the first reference to the hour of testing for the nation of Israel. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whether the Lord shall lead you. We know that since that day, the nation of Israel has not turned to God to know and worship him as God, nor have they yet been fully restored in their own land and blessings God promised Abraham. The nation of Israel still exists, and millions of Jews have returned to the land. However, this is not a spiritual return as it will be when they see Jesus, as he stands again on the Mount of Olives in his glorious and powerful return to reign on the earth. In Deuteronomy 4, 29-31 we read, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, and thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul, when thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shalt be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. This part of God's message to Israel has not been fulfilled. The returning of Israel to her own land is to take place when the tribulation comes upon them in latter days. In latter days is speaking of the days just before the beginning of the eternity of eternities. So Moses, in our passage, spoke of the definite period of tribulation, linking it with latter days. The time of Jacob's trouble will come upon Israel sometime after the rapture of the church. In latter days, Israel will be in tribulation. The false Messiah will appear, that son of perdition, the Antichrist, and he'll make a covenant of peace, a peace guarantee with the Jewish people. But at the appointed time, he will break that covenant, and the Jews will suffer as they have never suffered since Israel became a nation. 
in those latter days in the tribulation time period. Now, the scriptures that describe the tribulation speak of Israel or Jacob, and the church is not once named. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 6 to 7, it is called the time of Jacob's trouble and is compared in its suffering to the pain and anguish of a woman travailing in childbirth. This point is significant, and we will explore this further in a future message. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 37, the tribulation period is spoken of as a time when Israel will be made to pass under the rod of God. In Ezekiel 22:18-22, we know that it is Israel, not the church, that will be cast into God's melting pot to be melted and refined in the fires of God's wrath, as precious metals are melted and refined. And then in Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, it is Israel who will go through the fire for purification. And again in Zechariah 13, 9, it is God's people Israel who will pass through the fire to be refined as silver and gold are refined. From these clear Bible statements, it is evident that the Great Tribulation is something that has to do with the Jews, with the nation of Israel. It is a judgment through which they must pass in a refining process to prepare them for the blessings that lie ahead for God's chosen people. Of course, the Gentiles that remain on the earth will be greatly affected and afflicted by the tribulation, but the church will not be affected by it because the church will be raptured out of the world before that great and terrible day of the Lord, before the latter days, before the tribulation, before the time of Jacob's trouble. Now let's start our overview look of the judgments and the wrath of God. There will be three sets of judgments that will come upon the earth during that seven-year tribulation time. Some of these judgments will be allowed by God to occur. The rest will come directly from his hand. These three sets of judgments will occur in chronological and successive order as they are presented to us in the book of Revelation. These judgments are known as the seal judgments the trumpet judgments, and the vial, or sometimes referred to as the bowl judgments. So first, let's look at the seal judgments. Now, we're going to review those first four. We went over the first four in our last podcast, but we're going to look at those again. Revelation 6, 1-2. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse, And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's the rider on the white horse. Notice he has a bow, but he does not have an arrow, which means he consolidates power influenced by threat of force, but not actually using force. Next, verses 3 to 4. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to make peace from the earth, and they that should kill one another. And there is given unto him a great sword. That's the rider on the red horse. This rider takes peace away from the world that they kill one another. We see peace on the earth being taken away rather quickly. We can see how this can happen rather easily. And we can see lots of death happening as a result of that. Next, verses 5 to 6. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, 
and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. That's the rider on the black horse. This rider seems to be telling us there will be massive inflation, especially food prices will soar. And again, that almost feels like it's playing out right now. Then Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. Now the rider on the pale horse. This rider causes the death of one quarter of the population of the earth. Today, one-fourth of the people of the earth would be about two billion people. These verses say he does so with sword, with hunger, with death, that possibly could include diseases, and with beasts. Well, we can see that with sword, by war, we could see people dying. With hunger, well, there's massive food inflation. We could see people, lots of people dying because of hunger. It says with death, we could see with a global pandemic, for example, the taking the lives of lots of people. Now let's move on to that fifth seal, Revelation 6, 9 to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. This seal of judgment is different than the first four. With many Christians now under heavy persecution, this seal of judgment deals with the cries of the martyrs who are now living in heaven with God. They are literally crying out to God, asking him, when is he going to avenge them for being killed in this manner? God tells them to wait just a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants still on earth were killed and martyred as they were. From this verse, you can see that these days are literally numbered by God himself. Once the seven-year tribulation starts with the sign of the peace treaty with Israel, it will run for a full seven years. These verses also tell us that even though the martyrs are crying out in heaven for God to take some kind of action on their behalf, God is still not going to move until these events run their course by the exact number of days as prophesied in Scripture. For God to allow this event with the martyrs crying out in heaven for him to do something to act as one of the actual sealed judgments, this shows us just how horrible this persecution is going to be on the earth. I believe that God wants to show all of us what will happen to our world once he pulls back his restraining hand and allows Satan and one evil man, the Antichrist, to wreak as much havoc and destruction as they possibly can. With the main body of believers having already been raptured before all these events start to occur, God is going to show all of us what will happen to our world when he is not a part of our lives and a part of our world. All the atheists, all the unbelievers who are living during this time are going to wish they were never born after they see what will be coming their way once God pulls his church off the earth. They will find out the hard way that man does not have all the answers to solve all the world's problems. Only God does. And if you take God out of the equation, 
then you will end up with maximum death, as will be shown these last seven years. Now to move on to the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of the heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now in this seal judgment, God starts to take direct action himself. With all the killing that is starting to occur in the previous seal judgments, God causes a great and massive earthquake to strike the earth. This earthquake is so great that, it, that literally every mountain and every island on the earth is moved out of its place. This verse says that when the leaders of the earth see this event unfold, they will know that it is God himself because of the intensity and magnitude of it. This verse says that all of the rich men, all the great men, all the mighty men, all the commanders-in-chief, all the kings of the earth, all the presidents will, will initially hide themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains, fearing that God will be coming after them next. And as you will see in some of the other judgments to follow, these people still will not repent. They will not turn to God. They will still continue to hold on to their evil ways and curse God. Also notice in addition to this great earthquake, that the sun will turn black, the moon will look like blood. It also says that the stars will fall to the earth. This could be possibly a meteor shower or meteor activity. But with God turning the sun black and the moon into blood, he's making a very powerful statement to the rest of the world. God is showing his wrath by the sun turning black, and he is showing by the blood on the moon that he will be taking his vengeance upon all these evil people very shortly due to all of the evil atrocities they have committed, especially against his own people. As brutal as this sealed judgment might sound, you can begin to understand God's wrath and anger against these evil people, due to all the bloodshed and horror they have caused. These people will deserve the full punishment and the full wrath of God for all their evil acts. God the Father is a God of maximum intensity. The Bible says that he is slow to anger, but the evil of the people in this day will cause him to release his anger and wrath in a way that the world has never seen before and will never see again. I believe that the wrath of God that we manifest in that day will be exponentially greater than the wrath he showed in the flood of Noah and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah combined. Now let's look at the seventh seal. This next and final seal judgment is another direct move from God. It is a prelude that will lead up to the next series of judgments called the trumpet judgments. In this chilling verse, it says that there was total silence in heaven for half an hour. This is the calm before the greater and more intense storm of God's wrath. 
there are now seven angels who are getting ready to sound what will be called the seven trumpet judgments. And we will see that God is only just getting started in this time of Jacob's trouble, in this tribulation, in this day of the Lord. So now let's look at the trumpet judgments. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. In this vision, the apostle John watched as the seventh seal was opened and the seven angels were given seven trumpets. These trumpet judgments are literal. They are not just symbolic. They point to or represent real events. The Apostle John described these events the best he could with no knowledge of the future or words to use to describe it. Remember, John was trying to describe possibly 21st century technology and inventions with 1st century vocabulary. Now that first trumpet, verse 7. The first angel sounded. And there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. This judgment consists of bloody hail and fire. One third of the vegetation on the earth will be destroyed, which restricts the worldwide food supply. One third of the vegetation on the earth, the Bible says, will be burnt up. Some Bible scholars suggest the possibility of nuclear detonation to explain how suddenly. One-third of all the vegetation on the planet is burnt up, and all the grass on earth is burnt up. A major nuclear war would certainly do this kind of damage quickly, as described here in Revelation 8 and verse 7. Now let's move on to the second trumpet, verses 8 to 9. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. This judgment consists of a fireball from heaven, and one-third of the oceans are polluted. A third of the sea becomes blood with this judgment. A third of the sea creatures die, and a third of the ships at sea are destroyed, reducing the worldwide food supply even further. A possible natural explanation of this judgment is found in history. In 1883, half of the island of Krakatoa in the Javanese Strait of Sunda exploded and disappeared. Ships were thrown miles inland. Millions of fish were killed by the electrified and boiling seawater. Many more were killed later by the polluted seawater. Can you imagine this event occurring shortly after a possible nuclear holocaust-like event? Imagine the devastation at this point in the tribulation time period, and we're only to the second trumpet. Now, let's move on to the third trumpet, verses 10 to 11. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. 
and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters, because they were made bitter. A star falls from heaven. One third of the fresh waters polluted. The star is named Wormwood. Wormwood is a bitter-tasting plant found in Palestine. Jeremiah 9.15 mentions it. Therefore thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. This event reduces the availability of fresh, pure water to drink, further increasing the hardship brought on mankind by the reduction of the food supply. This star is more than likely an asteroid that crashes into the earth, causing a near-extinction-level deep-impact event. It looks like a falling star as it plummets through the Earth's atmosphere. This is after a possible nuclear war and a giant volcanic explosion and a previous worldwide earthquake. And now we're just moving on to the fourth trumpet. Revelation 8 and verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as a third part of them was darkened. And the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. The fourth trumpet involves darkening the earth. One third of the light from the sun, moon, and stars will be removed. The diminishing light right after the third judgment may be a result of the third judgment. The light may be diminished one third by the dust cloud encompassing the earth from the asteroid that just hit. This loss of light will inhibit the growth of plant life and crops causing an even further sharp drop in the food supply of the world. Now, the fifth trumpet. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit. And there rose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. This Trumpet judgment is a demonic invasion of the earth. They will torment mankind for five months, but will not be allowed to kill man during this tormenting time. Revelation 9, 3-12 And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion, when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and, sh and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two more woes hereafter. That's quite the description of this demonic invasion on earth. 
they come to torment man for five months, but they're not allowed to kill man during this tormenting time. The star that falls from heaven is actually a he, and he is carried out an order given to him from God himself. Hideous demons will be released from the bottomless pit, and during their five months of tormenting the earth, men will seek death, but will not be able to escape the demonic tormenting. They will long for death. They will long for death rather than repent to a holy God for their sins. This is quite the sobering judgment to look at and to think about. It will be so horrible they will seek death, but death will escape them. Now the sixth trumpet. Revelation 9, 13-15 And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now this judgment consists of a demonic army of 200 million that will invade the earth and kill one-third of mankind. Revelation 9.16 And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. Revelation 9, 17-21 says, And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouth. For their power is in their mouth, and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold, and silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor of their thefts. Like I said, this judgment consists of a demonic army of 200 million that invade the earth and kill one-third of man. As you may recall, one-quarter of mankind has already been killed during the sealed judgments. So by the end of this judgment, half of all mankind will have been killed. Imagine that in a span of less than seven years, probably less than three and a half years at this point, half the population of the earth, four billion or more people, killed. Demons who are bound at the river Euphrates are released, and they kill mankind by various plagues. Yet, unbelievably, those that survive this demonic attack on the planet do not repent of their sins. They do not turn to God for forgiveness of their sins. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And it just absolutely astonishes me that they choose to perish over repentance. They would rather perish than repent. That just is hard to believe. Now let's move on to the seventh trumpet. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord 
and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God in their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and at the time of the dead they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, unto the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. With this trumpet, the future kingdom reign of Christ is proclaimed. Revelation seventeen fourteen. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. And they that are with him are called, and chosen, and faithful. This is a great reference to the future millennial kingdom of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death have no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. With the announcement of the seventh trumpet brings the next round of judgments, the vile judgments. The vile judgments are found in Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 and verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. The vile judgments are poured out in rapid succession. The seventh trumpet judgment introduces the vile judgments, which contain the direct judgment of God upon the world. The trumpet and vile judgments have striking parallels to the plagues of Egypt. The first vile judgment soars on the worshipers of the Antichrist. Chapter 16 and verse 2. And first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And those that take the mark of the beast will get hideous, gruesome sores on their bodies, and on where they took the mark of the beast. The first vial of wrath compares to the sixth plague in Egypt. Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 to 9. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth of blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. It is interesting to note that Moses predicted coming judgment Similar to this in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, verse 27, and verse 35. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes which I commanded thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt, and with the emeralds, and with the scab, and with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed, from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. Now the second vile judgment. Seas turn to blood. Revelation 16.3 And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. The waters of the seas become like the blood of a corpse, 
and every living thing died in the seas. This plague is more severe than a second trumpet, for one third of the sea became blood. In this judgment, all of the sea becomes as blood. Blood is the token of life, Leviticus 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. But in this instance, blood is the token of death. The first plague of Egypt was turning the waters of the Nile into blood. This plague is similar to that one found in Exodus chapter 7, verses 20 to 21. Now the third vile judgment. Fresh water is turned into blood. Revelation 16, 4-6. And a third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. The third angel pours his vial into the rivers and the springs of water, and they too turn to blood. Can you imagine all the water you see around you turning into blood? And this judgment, along with the second vile judgment, means all the water supply on the planet will be blood. Can you imagine the loss of life just because of these two judgments? Could this be poetic justice? This plague is an example of poetic justice to these people who have shed the blood of the tribulation saints. They themselves, now by blood, or because of blood, are dying. These tribulation saints petition God to avenge their blood on those who killed them. Now in this judgment, God is answering that petition that we read about in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Now let's move on to the fourth vile judgment. This vile judgment is on the sun and will result in intense scorching heat. Revelation 16, 8-9 And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. The fourth vile judgment will affect the sun. It will scorch people with fire and with great heat. The Bible says even with all these plagues, people on earth will still not repent of their sins and turn to him. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet they will not repent. They will not ask for that cleansing. They will not turn to the Lord in spite of all the plagues they've endured, in spite of all the judgment they've gone through, in spite of all the, the water on the planet being turned to blood. Yet they will not turn to Christ. They will not ask for forgiveness. They will not plead his blood. They will not repent. It's astonishing to realize how hard their hearts will be toward the Lord. I believe this teaches us and shows us an important principle. 
We need to keep short accounts with God. We cannot let our hearts become hardened to the Lord. Daily, hourly, confess your sins to Him. Confess your sins to Him as they come into your mind. Ask the Lord to bring them into your mind so you can confess them. We must keep short accounts with God. We must guard ourselves from getting a hard heart. Now Moses spoke of a judgment of burning heat during the Great Tribulation in Deuteronomy 32.24. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. The prophet Malachi warns of this in his prophecy, Malachi 4 and verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Nevertheless, God protects and spares his own during these plagues and promises his protection concerning an event of this nature in his word. Psalm 121 and verse 6. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Now let's look at that fifth vile judgment. This is darkness enveloping the Antichrist's kingdom. Revelation 16, 10-11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And repented not of their deeds. People gnawed their tongues in pain and anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their sores and for their troubles. So here you have the people on earth at this time who have taken the mark of the beast. They have gone through the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments. They have just witnessed all the water on the planet turn to blood. And they have experienced hideous, painful sores all over their bodies. The sun starts scorching people to death. And now darkness and severe pain start enveloping the globe. And yet, and this just amazes me, they still will not repent of their sins and turn to the Lord for forgiveness. Now note the similarity of this plague to the ninth plague in Egypt. Exodus 10, 21-22 And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Now, Old Testament prophets spoke of this judgment as well. Isaiah 60 and verse 2, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And then Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 and verse 31. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, 
before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now the Lord Jesus himself spoke of an event like this in Mark 13:24. But in those days after that tribulation the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. Now we're moving on to the sixth vile judgment. The river Euphrates is dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east and to set up the battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16 verses 12 and 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The angel dries up the river Euphrates, making a way for the armies of the east to cross it on their way to the valley of Megiddo, to fight in the last great battle of all mankind. Demons go throughout the world, gathering the world's armies, all together in one place in the valley of Megiddo. Here in this valley, you'll have millions upon millions of soldiers preparing to fight in the battle of Armageddon. When you consider the sheer magnitude of the number of soldiers involved in this battle, it is easy to see how the blood will flow as high as a horse's bridle. Revelation 14.20 And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Human blood filling this valley of Megiddo to the height of a horse's bridle. Can you imagine, can you imagine the magnitude of such human carnage concentrated in just one place? So now, the seventh vile judgment. This is upon the air and great earthquakes and hail will take place. Revelation sixteen seventeen to 21. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven, from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices, and thunders, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine, of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, despite all of these judgments, people will still harden their hearts and will not repent to God. Yet God will still have his messengers in the world preaching his word, hoping to bring more lost sinners to Christ. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This vile judgment will be discussed more when we study the Battle of Armageddon. Later on in our study, we dig into the book of Revelation. These final vile judgments and the Battle of Armageddon make up the final moments of the tribulation. Up to and including these final moments, there will be men who refuse 
to repent. They will have the opportunity for salvation and refuse to accept the free gift being offered to them. The vile judgments conclude the last series of judgments on mankind, beginning with the seal judgments, then the trumpet judgments, and ending with the vile judgments, which consist of hideous, vile sores appearing on men who worship the Antichrist, water being turned into the blood of a corpse, the sun darkening yet emitting extremely hot and scorching heat, the river Euphrates drying up to enable the armies of the east to make it to the valley of Megiddo in time for the battle of Armageddon. And the while this is going on, you will have God's witnesses preaching his word throughout the world. They will be proclaiming, Thus saith the Lord, to a lost and sinful world. All the while God is judging the world for their sin and judging Israel for their sin and rejection of their Messiah, he is still showing grace and willing to forgive and wanting every lost sinner to come to repentance and salvation in Jesus Christ, his Son, the Messiah of his people. Now, with a message like this, a podcast like this, I think I would be remiss if I didn't reiterate how one can know for sure that he is saved, how one can know for sure that he is on his way to heaven. Now, new birth is the key to eternal life. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 6 and 7, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. If we are to spend eternity with the Lord, and make sure we will not be here on earth and go through the tribulation. We need to make sure we are born again. God's word says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now being born again, this means a birth from above. The new birth is not religion. It's not church membership. It's not baptism. It's not confirmation. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not living by the golden rule or even living a good moral life. Nicodemus was a very religious man. According to man's standards, a good man. Yet Jesus informed him in John chapter 3 that unless he experienced a second birth, he could not enter the kingdom of God. The new birth is not anything we do, but it's something God does for us. Galatians 5, 19-21 now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, which is impurity, lasciviousness, which is indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which is strife, emulations, jealousy, wrath, uh, strife, division, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. They that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the Apostle Paul draws a contrast in Galatians 5, to 23 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation 20, 14-15 And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now the wages of sin, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, for the wages of sin is death. Now, wage or wages is something earned. Sin does not pay. It pays in death. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. James 1.15 Death. Death in the Bible implies separation from God. The first death is separation from God when the lost person dies. The second death is separation from God in the lake of fire. Now that lake of fire is spoken of there in Revelation chapter 20. To think of eternity in a lake of fire and brimstone with a physical body that would never be annihilated, one that would burn forever, is more than our feeble minds can fathom. This is not for ten or a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion or a trillion years, but this is forever and ever. Hell is a place of no mercy. No mercy. Now we are saved by faith, not of works. There's nothing we do. We can't get ourselves saved out of our own efforts or out of our own works. We are saved by faith, not of works. Ephesians 2, 8-9 For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we are saved through faith. Faith brings the soul in contact with God. Faith plays a vital part in obtaining salvation. And like I said, it is not of works. Something a man's nature desires to earn salvation. A man uh, thinks that maybe if he's good at religion, maybe he lives by the golden rule, maybe he does the best he can, uh, he, he tries to help, he tries to live a good life, maybe these things will help me get into heaven. Now, there are two reasons good works do not help earn salvation. A person could not, with a fallen, fleshly, sinful nature, produce a good work to meet God's approval, Romans 8.8. 8. Good works do not remove sin. Only blood does. Only the blood of Christ removes our sin, Hebrews 9.22. Good works follow salvation, Ephesians 2.10 but good works do not help us to attain salvation. Now it says the wages of sin is death. So we have some wages that need to be paid. We have a sin debt that needs to be paid. Well, the good news is Christ paid our sin debt. He died as our substitute. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also hath once offered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. The just one here is Christ. He is perfect. The unjust are the guilty. That's all of us. All the world is unjust. All the world may become guilty before God, Romans 3.19. Jesus died as our substitute. The innocent for the guilty. Fourteen indictments are brought against man in God's criminal court trial in Romans chapter 3, and that penalty is death. The penalty for our sins is death. Imagine yourself 
being found guilty in a criminal court. You get the death penalty. You are on death row, awaiting the day of execution. And then a friend goes to the governor of the state to plead for your release. The governor insists that the law is based upon justice, and the crime demands a payment. Well, the innocent man replies, If there is no other alternative, I will die in his place. God saw us all guilty. Jesus volunteers to come and to die in our place. Now we can be set free from the law of sin and death if we accept the pardon on his terms by faith. Now repentance, repentance. Repentance means the lost person must be willing to turn from his own personal ambitions in life and turn to God and his way of life as described in the scriptures. Repentance means turning from sin and turning to God. Salvation is offered as a free gift. John 1.12 But as many as received him, or received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Not do works, not live a good life, even to them that believe on his name. The Romans 10.9 says that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, to get saved, we just have to realize we are a sinner, let God know we are a sinner, realize we are a sinner, accept by faith, believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. We have to believe the gospel. We have to repent of our sins. That means just turning. Turn away from that old sin nature, the old sin ways. Just turn to God. Just turn away from self and just turn to God. We have to receive by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to accept what he's done for us by faith. Believe on him and thou shalt believe. Believe on him and you shall be saved. We have to accept it by faith. Just have to realize we're a sinner. Realize and believe by faith that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he was buried and that he resurrected again. He rose again the third day. We have to turn from that old sin nature and turn to him. Realize we can't do it on our own. We can't earn our salvation. We have to accept him by faith as our Savior. We can do that right now. If you have not done that, you can do that right now. You can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior right now, then all your sins will be forgiven by his precious blood. We can, you can be saved. And if you're not sure, you're not sure, please contact our church. If you want someone to talk with you about this, please contact our church. If you've just prayed to the Lord and asked to be saved, please contact our church again at newbeginningbaptist.church. All of our contact information is there. And thank you for listening this fifth uh, installment of our podcast series on the end times. And this concludes our look at the plot line of Bible prophecy. And in our next podcast, we'll start the next section of our study, which will be the setting, which consists of the places of the end times, the signs of the end times. And our next podcast will be in the book of Zephaniah, and we'll be looking at the dark side of love in the day of the Lord. <laughs>